Uh, I love this place. Man. Anybody else? <laughs> I, yeah, I was hoping there would be a few more people than just me who do. I know you're looking at me, trying to see if you want to listen, and I'm looking at you, wondering if you will. Um, after having such great leadership at this church, I love Pastor Jesse and Lauren. They are, they are great examples of edge leadership, right? I feel like sometimes the church has become so conservative in, in, in this regard that we are not dangerous anymore, that we become classic maybe is a better way to say it, right? And that we've lost our edge. And when you read the scriptures, there's no loss of edge. <laughs> the scriptures set the edge, right? It's like extreme sports, you know, versus golf on Sunday. <laughs> hmm, if you want to take a nap, watch golf, If you, right? Whatever. But <laughs> I don't know if I've ever used that illustration, but about a pastor in a church. But, man, I honor you. I applaud you for the great work that you are doing here in the Midwest. It is an honor to be here. And I'm saying all of this to get you to like me because um, sometimes I just tell it the way it is and leave it in the pastor's hands afterwards, okay? So I want you to know if, if you're an adult in here, I like you. If you're a teenager in here, I love you, okay? <laughs> so um, this is, this is, this is a, kind of a moment for me a little bit. Maybe that's why I'm wasting all this time. But um, last time I was here... I was engaged, and my wife is now here with me, Jessica. So we'll be together. Uh, I, I promise you to return your children alive, but different, right? That's this is my this is my 38th year in youth ministry, okay? And uh, it, it hasn't bothered me. It hasn't bothered me at all. Hasn't bothered me at all, but <laughs> uh, I was reminded this morning, Trent was actually my first year at North Central 17 years ago. So that makes him old and me really young. <laughs> so um, anyway, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would do something suddenly this morning. Lord, whatever happened last night is not enough for today, Right? And whatever happened last week is not enough for today. And I know we say those things, but God, I'm asking that you would shock us this morning, arrest us, surprise us, surprise me as I lead these people the next few minutes. And I ask for an honest response to the gospel this morning, we pray. Not for our, our, ourself, not for our gain, but to transform a world that desperately needs you. Our neighbors who are still sleeping in from a party last night or who are arguing out in the yard and their marriage is falling apart or teenagers whose lives are wrecked by addiction or doubt or a lack of identity 
God, we ask that you would do something deep in this church this morning. Each one of us, I pray. Amen. Um, squeeze the person next to you. Give them a big hug. Kiss them on the cheek. Or if you're like Sean and his wife, last night they just planted a big kiss on each other right in the front row. That's okay too. And I want you to go to Psalm 78. I know the uh, image people are probably wondering where I'm going with this. This is a message that I preached last night, but I'm making a few changes to it. This is actually a message I preached here uh, two years ago, but it's kind of a life message, and so there's been some changes to it. So if you recognize the title or any of the illustrations, some of that will be similar, but it has uh, changed quite a bit. And some of you are new here uh, in the past two years, so that won't matter to you. Some of you were here and you didn't listen, so it won't matter anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but Psalm 78 is a faith handoff message for the church. It is a generational message. And I want to I speak to you a message uh, that has two titles. The first one is The Next Great Awakening. And I want to talk about the significance of awakenings in our country. But the second part of this, this message title is called An Intergenerational Movement. An Intergenerational Movement. We talk often, maybe we use the term multi-generational or multiracial. I don't think that's enough. I don't think to be multi-something is enough, especially when it comes to the church. I don't want just a multi-generational church. I want an intergenerational church. You see the difference? Multi just means we exist. Inter means that we are in relationship. And it goes the same with the racial understanding. When we push a multiracial, you know, society, I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's inclusion. I don't think that's value. I don't think it's a values-based statement. Just to have the existence of Latinos or Asian or black or white here in a place, that's multi. But if we're not inter, it really is meaningless, right? Otherwise... We're just, we're, we're saying things that really aren't happening. It's not practice. It's not a principle. And so when I talk about a intergenerational movement, I think you'll see how significant that is to, to sustain revivals and awakenings. Okay? As a student of church history and a student of revival, we have... We have seen three or four significant spiritual moments in America's history. There have been smaller ones, but we've seen three or four large ones. Unfortunately, we haven't seen one in 50-plus years, almost 60 years. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, no, what about the Browns, you know, the Brownsville, uh, you know, what about the Smithton outpouring? How about Toronto? And some of you aren't even familiar with that, but I know some of you who are familiar with church history might bring those up. 
those were not nation-shaking. Those last three smaller revivals were not nation-shaking like these that I want to mention to you. Models, listen, models of awakenings in our country that we need to learn from. I want you to go back to the mid-1700s. Really, the start of this nation was born out of the first great awakening. Maybe you've heard of the first great awakening. When that awakening took place, there were millions, they say around three million plus teenagers and young adults who were born again in that revival. It took place on the east coast of America, and we saw this healing revival break out in that first great awakening, and it shaped the beginnings of our nation. And then shortly after the Declaration of Independence and shortly after the establishment of this country, the second great awakening took place about 60 to 80 years after that. You would go to about 1820 up to about 1870. In that 50, 60 year range, the beginnings and the ending are a little different depending on the writers. But that, that movement broke out because of the first great awakening, and the teenagers and the young people who were born again in that movement now grew up and became missionaries globally and became pastors nationally, and they began to shape another awakening that took place on the university campuses of the Ivy League. You, you would go back and look at the beginnings of these universities, and you would see that at the, at the center of these universities was a chapel. Take a vacation with your family today and see the chapel at Yale, Harvard, William and Mary. You, you, you can see these physical, the, the physical evidence of the center of their education. Did you hear that? That the center of their education. Now we've moved to the library as the center of our education. Think about that shift, that little shift. The University of Virginia was the first university to remove the chapel as the center of education and put a library there. It's, there's a, it's an interesting article you can read on education and the emphasis of the library in education. But look at that small shift. Then what we've really done, if you look at education today in the OOs and the teens, now what we did is we started building stadiums and the stadium and the physical person has become the reason why we grow universities. If we want a national championship or we want to push an NIL, national letter of intent, right? These, these earnings. And now you have massive stadiums that draw people to education. Look at those shifts from the heart and the chapel. Following me? To the head and the library. And now to the physical and the stadiums. No longer is education at that university level a matter of the heart. It switched to the mind and then in many ways away from the mind into the physical or the natural. And we become so woke and so open-minded that we've lost, listen, We've walked in culture and not scripture. 
You see the change? We desperately need a return to the scriptures in our nation. Listen, we have a lot of issues. We have a lot of problems in America. There are, there are many of them. Listen, let me, government is not the only problem in this country. Okay, we want to blame Washington for all of our problems. It's not the only problem. We want to blame the Silicon Valley and social media. Listen, that's part of the problem. But it's not the only problem. Okay? We, we want to put it off on Washington. We want to put it off on the Silicon Valley. We want to put it off on L.A. or Nashville or Atlanta and say it's the movies or the music industry. Listen, they bear responsibility. But hear me. They're not raising my kids. I am raising my kids. And what has happened is we have put off the responsibility and the power of the church and the family and we've begun to blame government and we've begun, we've begun to blame social media and the Silicon Valley and advances in technology and AI and robot sex and everything else that is following the sexual revolution. We, we begin to blame uh, L.A. for the movies that are put out there. Listen, they bear responsibility. But healthy homes build healthy children who build healthy societies at every level. And we have, we have forgotten, we have forgotten to look ourselves as believers and as parents in the mirror and say, I could be better. And I truly believe that there are some key things that we need if we're going to see a third great awakening in this nation. You look at that first great awakening and the second great awakening. And then we saw around the 1901 to about 1907, another revival break out. In, it started in Topeka, Kansas at a Bible college. I'll get to the scripture, okay? I really will. I'll be there in just a moment. This is just the introduction, okay? Um, around 1901, it broke out in a Bible school where a snowstorm hit Topeka, Kansas. And it shut the school down and the students couldn't drive home. And they had to stay there for several days. And so they decided to just pray for their country. In all the different states, they were, it was only about 35 students that they were driving back to, the multiple states, they began to pray for their states and their, their nation. And as they did, one of them had a dream and a vision that they should go to LA. So they went down to um, Hot Springs, Arkansas and they met some students there who were from the school, and they brought the rest of them, to shared the dream and the vision, and they brought the rest of them to L.A. to what then broke out as the Azusa Street outpouring. Do you know that most of the Pentecostal churches today, as a matter of fact, almost all of them were born out of that movement? But that wasn't enough. It, it shook our nation right before the uh, problems that we had and the issues that we had in the teens and the 19s and the 1920s. But then God began to move in the 1960s, somewhere around 1967. I was born shortly before that in uh, the Bay Area. We call it the Yay Area. I was born in San Francisco. Go, go Warriors. Sorry, just had to get that in there. And we've, what we saw is the racial riots that broke out in Hate Park. Okay, Hate Park, H-A-I-G-H-T, Hate Park. 
If you know any of the history there, if you're from that area, really, we saw what happened in Memphis and Atlanta and Birmingham. That all started shortly after what happened in Central California. The, the real race riots broke out there and then spread all over our country. But at the same time, in Hate Park, a revival began also. Maybe you saw the movie, The Jesus Revolution. Time magazine called the Jesus Movement of 1967 to 1978 the greatest spiritual moment in the history of our nation. Time magazine cover, the Jesus face. You've seen the movie, the, 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 the VW van, right? The multicolored van uh, that brought another, I guess, a rainbow to the eye. Anyway, and what happened was we had this movement and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that began to spread and change government. It placed people in 500, uh, Fortune 500 companies as CEOs who are now being born again on the beaches and in the bars of, Southern, of Central California. But that was 1978, a distant memory. I don't want to hear about this anymore. I don't want someone to tell me about it anymore. I want my children to see it. We have, we have been telling them about what we want God to do. We've been talking about what we want God to do. We've even been praying about what we want God to do. But when are we going to walk in what we want God to do? And I believe that there are some key things that take place pre-awakening, pre-revival, precursors. Let me give you five. Can I do that? Can I give you five? I'm only going to talk probably about two of them and spend some time on them, but let me give you these five. Number one, when we value moments, we create movements. And what I mean by that is where we are and what we're doing right now. And this becoming more important than it is. Look at Psalm 78. Look at Psalm 78. Give ear, my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open up my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have, listen, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. This, this really is an iconic chapter. You, you, I'm going to read a little bit more here, and you'll say, oh, I've, I've heard that before. I, I, I've heard that. You're going to say, we've sung that before. The blessing, you know the song, The Blessing? And their children, 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 and their children. And we get stuck on it, right? <laughs> This is where it came from. This is, this is where, it, look at the text here. Keep, keep reading this. And I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, right? Things that were hidden. Things that we heard, we have heard and known that our fathers talked about. 
We will not hide them from their children, telling the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, not hear about them, might know them. Know them. Unfortunately, our children do not know them. They're like most of us who would talk about the Grand Canyon, but have never been there. Hello? Man, y'all keep shouting me down over here in this corner, and I'm going to just kind of slide right on over, okay? <laughs> Listen, we, we hear often someone say, talk about the Grand Canyon. Or maybe you've seen a movie with the Grand Canyon in it. Or pictures of somebody's vacation, and they went to the Grand Canyon. And you think that because of that, you've seen the Grand Canyon. But I want you to know, you've never seen the Grand Canyon unless you've stood on the rim, on the edge of one of the seven wonders of the world and looked as far as the eye can see across that chasm. If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, you've never seen the Grand Canyon. And in the same way, we have raised two generations, the millennial and the Gen Z, 35, 36 and under to 12. I fear that we are raising Alpha Gen, 12 and under, 13 and under, that we are raising them the same way. They've only heard about him, but they've never seen him. We talk about miracles and we talk about camp when we grew up at camp. And we talk about that revival that broke out, Right? And we, and we think about the glory days. We've heard about when God moved in tent revivals. But what about today? When is the last time one of my children were healed in our home? Not because we brought them to church and called the elders to lay hands on them and anoint them with oil. And this is what we do when we gather. Hear me. This gathering must become more important. L listen, we don't, we, we shouldn't just come to church. We should be the church. Yeah. Right? Let me go to number two. I'm not going to spend that much time on these. Uh, number two, the wisdom of the elders and the passion of the young. When you look at revivals that have taken place, in the past, you would see that each of these revivals I just talked about, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the Azusa Street outpouring, and the Jesus movement were begun by young people. Bar none, when you look at the revivals that took place in this country, and really if you look at global revivals, the revivals in England, 
The Church of England talked about one of the greatest moves of the Holy Spirit in Wales, and it began with teenagers and young adults. The hunger. Hear me. We cannot lose this generation and their pulse. Hear me. Their pulse, the vacuum that they have for God. There's a space there that only God can fill. And we think God, God, ball, and nine square is going to do it. We model youth ministry off pizza parties and giveaways and, and hum, hum, right? And social, social media footprints. And we've forgotten about theology and we've turned to theater. Theater is not going to change a nation. Thank you. That came deep down from your heart. Thank you. When I look at this handoff of faith in Psalm 70, if I were to read, I've got, uh, I think it's 11 or 12 different, different descriptions of what the awakening is. You can see it. I've got them circled here and starred here. They, they call it the, the scriptures. They call it the promises, the commandments, the precepts, the ways the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the acts. This, this, is, this is what revival and awakening is. It's not, listen, it's not a theory. It's not a theory. This isn't a principle. It is a practice. It, it is when we take the principles of the scriptures and we put them into the practice of our lives. And it moves from culture and it moves into, into recreation. Right? It, it, we're not just trying to build a culture or a feeling or a response. We're trying to build a recreation. It, it, it's a different way of thinking. Revival is a different way of thinking. It, it moves us from green rooms to prayer rooms. It moves us from, from, from theater to theology. It moves us from websites to witnessing. It moves us from creating a presence, right? And, and, and all of us loving the presence. We love the presence. I love, I'm a person of his presence. But I don't just want his presence. I want his person. Think about that. Moving from this presence to his person where it becomes personal. Um, let me go to a third one. A counter-sexual revolution. I know we spent time on this when I was here. Uh, we did some conferencing and, and sessions. We, we desperately need an identity build in this generation. I think you know, as well as I do, that we are living in a society that has no idea who they are. And whatever voice is loudest and whatever parade comes up next gets the attention. Rather than going back to the scriptures, which are very clear, that, there, that, we, must, that we, must, we must have this conversation on the sexual revolution with both truth and grace. Right? Because the ground is level at the cross. 
right? Well, we, we will parade the latest movement in America and rename, ev- we've renamed our sin and given it easy, comfortable words that we can live with. No longer is it, right, addiction or uh, alcoholism or lying or whatever. Now we give it words like, that's just my weakness. It's just something I struggle with. It's just something that I'm trying to overcome, right? No, 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 no. It's called sin. It's called harmatia. That's the word, harmatia. Missing the mark. And this is the mark. And the reason why we've missed the mark is because we don't even know what the mark is. And so we've lost the scriptures, and we've redefined sexuality by the culture. And when you redefine sexuality by the culture, it shifts and changes about every 18 months to two years. I wrote a book two years ago that could be rewritten today. With the earliest, latest research when it published, my my editor sent me right before it published another paraphrase, another study that was done, and that was two years ago. And that study is out of date already. Because culture is shifting and the scriptures are not. They don't change over time. So if it's okay with you, but it's not okay with the scriptures, something has to change, and it's not the scriptures. There's, it's not going to change. Uh, let's move on, move on to another one because it could be really easy to stick to stay right there, and it is okay. I see it. N- number four is the Trinity in the life of the believer. And of course, what I'm talking about here is the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, and the reason why I'm emphasizing just a third person of the Trinity is because he has been treated like a stepchild in a poor family situation. God the Father we know Jesus we know, but who is the Holy Spirit? And you have so well been taught on this. But I want you to know the church in general has an anemic understanding of who the third person of the Trinity is. When you look at John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17, this is a discourse of four chapters on the Trinity, where Jesus sits down. It's all in red. You can see it. It's one setting. It doesn't even move off to another setting. And John just records this incredible discussion on the Trinity. And hear me, specifically, the Holy Spirit. When, when you look at the theology behind those discussions... You see this major emphasis, teaching emphasis of Jesus trying to get the disciples to understand what is coming next. They've lived for 33 years with him. At this point, it was about 32 years with them. 
32 and a half years. They had lived with him. They had seen the miracles. They had heard the teachings. He wowed the crowd. Oftentimes they would watch him and say, wait, where did he go? How did he do that? Peter, did you see? I, I, I saw it. But now, hear me. It's interesting that in the, in the last largest discourse of Jesus' life, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard people say things like, well, Jesus talked more about hell or he talked more about money or he talked more about, you know, greed or whatever. If you Google those words in, those, in specific verses, you would, you would see that that is true. But if you Google the topic and the subject, the thing that he talked about the most was the Holy Spirit. It's true. Theologians will tell you that. You can read on this. I think that is significant because the last words of somebody are oftentimes the most important words they speak. In John 14, 15, 16, 17, in Acts chapter 1, and really Revelation 22, Jesus brings up the Spirit again. But in, those, in that run, that discourse, Jesus tries to do everything he can Hear me, stay with me, to get their eyes off of him and to put them on the Holy Spirit. Now, don't throw me out because I won't be here next week anyway, so I'll, I'll walk out, okay? I am not advocating a spirit-only doctrine, like some have called the Jesus-only doctrine or whatever, right? I'm not advocating. I understand the theology and the history of this, Okay. I'm not advocating that we forget about Jesus and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's retired. I did not say that, okay? But, let me, but oftentimes what happens is we get challenged when we talk about this, what I'm going to talk about in the next couple of minutes as I close. <laughs> as I close, Pastor. <laughs> Listen, Jesus couldn't have been more clear that the most important relationship in their life was about to be the Holy Spirit and not him. Okay? Let me just say something to you right now. The most important relationship that you have on this earth, on this earth right now, is not your mom and dad. It's not your, it's your, it's not, it's not your grandmother or your grandfather. It's not your guardian or your auntie or your uncle or your bae or your bestie. The most important relationship that you have on this earth right now is the Holy Spirit. And those are not just my words. Those are Jesus' words. I don't have the time, but you got to trust me. John 16, he tells them, I'm leaving, and why are you so sad? That's what he said. Why has sorrow filled your heart that I'm leaving you? I know I've been with you for these 32 and a half years, but why are you so upset that I'm telling you this? We've forgotten this emphasis that Jesus wanted to place on the Holy Spirit. And so Acts chapter 1 comes and he's with them. And he says, I'm leaving now. Go into the city and wait for him. Wait for the promise. Wait for what the Father, what I've told you the Father is bringing to you. Go wait for him. 
And they're all like, no, we don't, we don't want to go. We, right? This is, read Acts chapter 1, 4 through 9. And all of a sudden, he just, it's, it's like he's like, get off of me. Get, right? He's like, let go. Let go of my robe. Right? And they're all like, Jesus, you can't go. Because you know what they're thinking? Matthew's thinking, if he leaves, we're broke. <laughs> Think about that. Matthew, the tax, you know, the money guy. He's like, there's no more crowds. There's no more. He leaves, we're broke. No, you can't, right? Luke, the physician. He is probably thinking, hmm, this is really good for business. <laughs> no more people getting healed. The office is going to be full. <laughs> Right? John, the beloved, he's standing there going, oh, you can't go. What am I going to do? Peter, he's trying to solve it. He's like, no, there's got to be another way. There's got to be. James, I need you. James is a zealot, the, the crazy one. What are we going to do? And James is like, I don't know. Build a tower. Grab him. Grab him. Right? The, the, all these different responses. But what they forgot was that he told them it's better for you. And so he goes, right? He ascends. Will you stand, please? Because I, I have to finish. Will you stand? If you stand, then I'll finish, okay? <laughs> and he says, bye-bye. And the ascension takes place, and what happens? Do you remember the story? They stand there, and they stare at him. One more time. He's already been telling them for months that he's leaving and it's better for them. And he exits the scene and they're like. What the? What are we going to, right? This is the scene. I'm not making this up. So much so. That as Jesus ascends and is seated at the right hand of the Father, you know that if there's a right-hand throne and a center throne, that there's a left-hand throne too. Have we forgotten about that? Where the Holy Spirit was seated? The Trinity? And now all three are restored in this one moment, just for, for about 50 days. And I don't know what happened in those 50 days, but they literally were told to go wait. He ascends, is seated, and they stand there gazing. And God the Father just looks around and says, when are they going to get it? I know, I know. And he says, you and you go. Right? Have you read the story? And when Jesus ascends... God the Father sends two angelic prophetic voices. 2,000 years ago, the Father told us, stop looking at him. He will be back. This is what he said. He will be back. But if you keep staring at him, you're going to miss the Trinity. The most important relationship that you have on this earth 
is the Holy Spirit. The reason why you can't break your addiction is because you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit who would break it in a, in a moment like he did my life. The reason why you're struggling with what you're struggling with it's because you're serving a historical Jesus and have forgotten about a present Holy Spirit. And you're waiting for him to come back, right? You're waiting for him to return and make all things new. And he's shaking his head on the throne saying, turn around. He's right there moving amongst you. Wanting to restore your marriage, sir. Ma'am, wanting to break the addiction in your life. Teenager, the depression. These are, these are the best days of your life. Young people, listen to me. These are the best days of your life. And you're depressed. because we don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. God, move in this moment. Move in this moment. There's nothing you can't do. There's no mountain too high. There's no river too wide. You could reach into heaven. You could reach down into the depths of hell and reach our soul. God, would you reach the furthest in the room this morning right now? Maybe you came into this place this morning and you're away from God. Maybe you came into this place this morning and you feel right now the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. I'm going to start on my left, on your right. And if you want to give your life to Christ this morning, you came to the right place. Amen, church? You came to the right place. We want to welcome you to the family, but it takes just a moment for you to say, God, forgive me of my sin. Take the old things away and bring new things into my life, right? Pastor's going to pray with you in just a moment. This, this prayer, this pastoral prayer to lead you, but you're saying right now, I need to accept Christ. On the, on the left-hand side, your right, my left. If that's you, will you just wave at me? You want to give your life to Christ today, this morning? Good, good, good. Three. How about the center? You're saying, I want to give my life to Christ I'm away from him. I, I sense the Holy Spirit moving in my life. Anyone just wave at me in the center section? Anyone at all? Okay, how about on the right-hand side? You're away from God, and you want, I'm not going to bring you down here. Pastor's going to pray for you in just a moment. But you could join your life in a relationship with the Holy Spirit and Christ as your Savior. If that's you, just wave at me on the right-hand side. Anyone? Are you sure? 
I have more patience than you have fear. Okay? Are you sure? Anyone at all, just wave at me so I can pray for you, so pastor can lead you in this prayer. God, all across this place, see the hearts of the people who are crying out to you. The last thing I wanted to bring up tonight, uh, today, I brought it up last night, and I want to finish this quick thought, if you just give me about 60 more seconds. If we're going to see an awakening in this nation, we need an awakening in the home first. And so I would like you, if you could, to just gather in your families all over this place. Could you do that? I know that you might be thinking, man, I'm a guest and I'm ready to get out of here. But could you move to your family groups in the next minute right now? Go. Mom and dad, right, find them. Kids, if you're away from them, move to them. If you're a young adult, right, and you don't have anyone to go to, um, maybe just move to somebody and wave at them and say, can I get in? Right, come on, do that right now. Turn in circles. Don't look at me. I know this is, this is, I've done that. We've been doing this for two years in, in massive churches of thousands and I know it's awkward and in small churches where there's 20 people in the place. So just really get in a little circle. Maybe it's just you and your spouse. Do that right now. Don't, don't just stare front. I want to lead you in a prayer. I truly believe that if we could see a move of God in our homes, that, listen, the greatest evangelism tool in this country is the family. Can I say it again? The greatest evangelism tool in this country is the family. Because there may not be a government, there may not be social media, there may not even be education in every corner of this world, but there is a family. There may not be a business, but there is a family. There may not be a store, right, but there is a family. And if we can win one family at a time, we win our nation and we win this world. Amen? Would you pray for your family right now? Just put your hands on each other right now and say, God, move in my family. Holy Spirit, move in our families. God, bring worship in the home. Bring the reading of the scriptures in the home. Prayer in the home. God, we ask. Holy Spirit, surround these homes with your scripture, with the word, with the commandments. Yes. Let the scriptures come alive in our homes. Let the scriptures come alive in our homes. God, I pray for fathers leading their home or mothers or guardians or aunties or uncles or grandmas or grandpas leading the home. God, give them a sense of your spirit, how to lead their family. Maybe it starts tonight. Holy Spirit, fall on these homes tonight. Maybe it's at the dinner table this afternoon. God, as we just pause and ask the Holy Spirit to move in our homes. God, we ask. God, we ask. Win the home. God, win the home. Restore the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. 
We pass the faith on from one generation to the next, from the forefathers and the fathers to the children and their children, God, and to all who come and all the descendants. We pass the faith on, and it begins this morning. The journey of a thousand steps begins with one step. God, we know that. One step tonight, one step this afternoon, one step tomorrow. Win our homes, win our homes. Holy Spirit, move on our homes right now. Heal in these homes right now. Heal in these circles right now. If you need healing, I want you to ask for healing right now. You need healing in those, in that home. You know, maybe it's a headache. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a, a, a like a, a neck, a back, a, I, I don't know what it is. You know, pray for healing right now. Pray for healing right now. Holy Spirit, heal, heal. In this moment, we, we don't need a special, we don't need a special anointing for it. We know that your presence is here. Heal, heal through faith. Heal, heal, we ask. Pray the sinner's prayer right there. Pastor's gonna come and lead us in just a moment. In about one minute, he's coming. But pray right now for repentance in your families. Maybe somebody's given their life to Christ right now in that family. There were about four or five of you. Come on, pray that. Be, be accepted. Be accepted into the family of God right now. Holy Spirit, move in these homes. Move in these homes. Move in these homes. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.